we find ourselves today in Acts 16, a very famous passage, passage of scripture where the, the really uh, we find that the church begins, right? Um, and just to give a little bit of context, this is Paul uh, just meets Timothy for the very first time. And he's like, yo, you're the man. Let's, let's do this thing together. So Paul, Timothy, and Silas head out on a journey. And uh, this is where we find that he gets the moment where Paul gets a vision from God about this man in Macedonia. Acts 16 is also where Paul and Silas find themselves in prison. You know, the famous story where they worship God and then all the chains break and everybody gets free and the jailer also gets saved and him and all his household. Like, Acts 16, y'all. Um, but in the, in the middle of those two events, we find this interesting passage of scripture that in my, in my life, I have honestly perused by. But in this, uh, in this encouragement that I was giving for our friend's birthday, I really felt like the Holy Spirit gave us something to learn. And so uh, if you're reading along, we're going to be in Acts 16, verses 13. It says, on the, on the Sabbath, we left the city and we went down along the river where we had heard there was, a, was to be a prayer meeting. We took our place with the women who would gather there and talk to them. Yo, it was a women's prayer meeting. Come on, somebody. <laughs> On a Sunday, they were turning up. One woman, Lydia, was from Thyatira and a dealer in expensive textiles. Other uh, translations would say she was a dealer in, in expensive uh, purple cloth, which was a very valuable um, fabric and known to be a God-fearing woman. She listened with intensity to what was being said. And the master gave her a trusting heart. And she, the master opened her heart and she believed. After she was baptized, along with everyone in her household, she said, in a surge of hospitality, if you're confident that I'm, this, I'm in this with you and you believe in the master truly and, and, and that I believe in the master, this is her talking to Paul, then, then come home with me and be my guests. We hesitated, Paul says, but she wouldn't take no for an answer. <laughs> come on, Lydia. Uh, Matthew 25, 21, his master replied, well done. Good and faithful servant, you have been faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. I believe every disciple will get a well done, good and faithful servant, but we don't just get it for free. But if you're taking notes today, today's title is Living Like Lydia. Living Like Lydia. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for these moments that we have together. I thank you that where two or three are gathered, that you are there in the midst. And so I ask by the power of your Holy Spirit, would we receive your word, your perfect word, your flawless word, your word that does not return void? And would we see a harvest of it in us and through us, 30, 60, and even 100-fold? And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said a big amen. Amen, amen and amen. Awesome. Warren Buffett self-made billionaire, uh, really the guy who everybody's listening to as we may find ourselves in another recession, says this, it takes 20 years to build a reputation and five minutes to ruin it. If you think about that, you'll do things differently. I like the B clause. If you think about that, you'll do things differently. You know, I, I really believe that we live in this culture, this environment that is pulling us and calling us to be known by the masses. It's a pressure, this pressure to kind of like to be famous in our own regard, that, that, that you're not significant unless you're prominent. 
That, that not, unless you have the masses who, that know who you are, that you aren't really doing anything in your life. And if I could be honest in church, can I be honest in church? I'm exhausted. I'm in an exhausted millennial trying to grow my followers and my engagement to get any self-worth. And this is a toxic thing that the culture kind of pulls on us. And, and maybe it's not social media for you. Uh, you know, maybe it's, it's your workplace. If I, am, if I am known in my workplace by the masses, that means I can climb this corporate ladder. It's, it's exhausting, if I could be honest. But we've come to this place where we, we do, we, we might find ourselves in this place where we value prominence over significance. And so the problem is that we, we think that the importance is in how many people know us, that this should be our reputation, that he was known by many, that at my funeral, this person knew a lot of people. Proverbs 22.1 says, choose a good reputation over great riches. Being held in high esteem is better to, than silver and gold. Your life is the greatest sermon you will ever preach. And so I want to talk about reputation today. But the question to ask, I believe the wrong question to ask today is not how many people know me. I believe the right question to ask today is, what do people know me for? What do people know me for? Man, I love Lydia. Because in three verses, we learn her reputation. We learn what she was known for. And I believe we can actually come into a place where we can live a life like Lydia. And her mention in scripture may be minimal, but the life she lived was meaningful. That her name in scripture might be a little bit small, but come on, Lydia lived a very significant life. And so if we're going to live like Lydia, we must know these three things. We are a three-point church, three-point sermon church. (laughs) Number one, she was known to be fearful. She was known to be fearful. Wait, Omar, what? Always got to get you in the first one. <laughs> Acts 16, it says, known to be a God-fearing woman. Good, good. Another trans- other translations would say that she was a worshiper of God. We don't, we don't hear about the fear of God anymore, mm-hmm. unless it's a clothing brand, right. unless it's Jerry Lorenzo. <laughs> but can I tell you, the fear of God in your life is essential? Yeah. <laughs> I'm here for the young people, y'all. Come back next week if you want Pastor Javen. But I thought, I think this is a funny connection because like Lydia is actually a CEO of a designer company. If it, like we were to like translate it to today, like uh, scholars would actually paint this picture that if Lydia was alive today, she'd be very wealthy. She'd have multiple homes, real estate, commercial. She would have a home in New York, in LA and Paris. And she was just well off. She was a boss. Let's come on what female entrepreneurs. But with all that success, she knew she still needed a savior. She didn't allow the God of fashion or the God of uh, entertainment or the God of fame to rule her life. No, it says that she was a God-fearing woman. I believe the biggest void in the local church, or I believe it's not the biggest void in the local church, but it is the biggest deficiency in the local church is a lack of a fear of God. Is a lack. We don't hear this preach, but I'm up for the challenge because it changed my life. So maybe you're asking, what is the fear of God? It sounds pretty intense, Omar. You know, we, we're in this climate of fear out there, 
But I think we just need to redefine what actually the biblical, and I would say godly fear is kind of like the way to put it. And so the first time we see uh, the fear of God in scripture is, is in, uh, when Abraham is asked to sacrifice his son Isaac. And the Bible says, you know, just go up to that mountain and I will show you where to, where to sacrifice him. Like legit, kill your son. Wait, what? So he brings his son to the mountain and literally as Abraham's about to slay his son, an angel appears and says, Abraham, Abraham. Genesis twenty two twelve. this is where we see it. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Uh, don't do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, and because you have not withheld him from, uh, would not have withheld from me your son, your only son. So godly fear is simply my motivation to obey God. This is what the fear of God does. It is my motivation. And let me remind you that the result of your obedience always results in blessing. That is the promise from God, that when we live an obedient life to God, that he will bless your life. But the motive of my obedience is not blessing. The motive is my reverence. The motive is because he is God. And that's what the fear word used here. It's, it's, it's this awe. Because you, because you had this awe and reverence for God and, and honor for God, you get your son. Um, but Omar, that's like, that's Old Testament stuff. Nah, dude, it's like, it doesn't pass through the New Testament. You know, like we're, we're a new covenant church, you know, you know? And I could see where you can have that thought process. You know, like we, we read scriptures in the New Testament, like there's no fear in love, but uh, perfect love casts out all fear. Oh, okay, then there goes the fear of God. We also read other scriptures that say, uh, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and a sound mind or self-discipline. This fear described in the New Testament that this, these scriptures in particular are referring to is the word phobos. This is where we get phobias. Um, it means spirit of fear or little g God of fear and panic. That's what this word means. And I want to encourage you that God has not given you a spirit of fear. Come on. He gives us the Holy Spirit. Anybody grateful for the Holy Spirit today? So where do we find the fear of the Lord in the New Testament? Acts 931. We see it here. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. Godly fear doesn't sound like panic. Godly fear looks like peace and strength. And the church grew because of it. Did you know the only place in the world where the church is actually not growing is America? Have we had a, a lack of fear? Could that be the missing piece to the, the growth of the local church in America? Is an increase in our fear and reverence and honor of God. So there's a difference between being afraid of God and having godly fear. Everybody say, there's a difference. And, and in, in, in Acts 9.31, that living in fear, it's actually, it means fleeing from fear. So that when, when you feel fear, the fear of God actually makes you flee from it. Wow. And that's why I had a hard time in 2020, TBH. It's because I felt like I was inundated to accept the world's fear system. And yet the spirit of God was telling me something else. So which voice am I going to listen to? So everybody say, there's a difference. Exodus 20, 20, it says, Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. So we get these two, phrases, these two words in one scripture. 
do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be, will be with you to keep you from sinning. Wow. Wow. Who wants to sin less? Hey. Amen. Everybody's just like, I'm, you know, you revealed yourself. I'm just <laughs> but I love this. In the scripture about fear, it says God has come. Yes. Then it says uh, so, that the, so that God would keep you. Yeah. Being afraid of God actually will push you away from God. Uh-huh. Having godly fear brings you closer to God. So That's the difference. Everybody say, there's a difference. It's not being afraid of God, but it is being afraid of what my life will look like without him. Everybody say, there's a difference. You know, I think about, uh, think about it like this. If, it, if you went into like a brand new opening of a mall and like it was 50% sell every store, it'll probably be packed because gas is crazy and we're trying to get a deal everywhere else we can go. And you would bring your toddler into that mall you could imagine that they would hold your hand tighter or squeeze your leg closer. And it's not because they're afraid of you. They're afraid of what it would look like if they lost you. That's a good, a good picture of what it looks like to have a fear of God. So maybe you're asking, okay, cool. That's what the fear of God is. Cool. Why should I fear God? Isaiah 55 verse 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, Neither are my ways my ways, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So the answer to why should we fear God simply is because God is God. I love when church is easy. And because I'm not. Amen. So if Lydia is this example of what it looks like to fear the Lord, it really means believing in one true God. It means that with even all her success, she still needed a savior. Yeah. And, she, you know, um, and, and just to go a little bit deeper on this idea of what it looks like to fear God, in verse 14, it says this in the ESV, it says, as, as she was listening to the good news, the Lord opened her heart to receive. Good. That fearing God actually starts with what you listen to. Yes. What voice has the highest volume in your ear? I was going to have this joke. I deleted it, but I feel under the power of the Holy Spirit, I need to tell this joke. You know the song? You know, like the head bone's connected to the neck bone. The neck bone's connected to the, I don't know, backbone. The backbone's connected to your hip flex. (laughs) In the kingdom, the ear bone's connected to the heart bone. Amen. Okay, I will delete it. Shannon gave me the nod. She's like, take it out. No, it's good. But fearing God is just valuing his voice above all other voices. You know, uh, we read books to Ruby every night. Usually Amanda does it because your boy can't read sometimes, man. And it's embarrassing when Ruby's like, (laughs) you know, when I open the book, if it's not two lines each page, I'm like, bro, this is a novel. What are we trying to do right now? For real. Um, But this week we read this book that she got from the library called uh, Chrysanthemum. This is this book about this uh, little girl, and it starts from when she's born, and her parents give her this name, and this is her name, Chrysanthemum. It's a, I guess it's a flower. Yeah, amen. We, the original Greek. No, I'm just kidding. And so here's the story. Essentially, her parents tell her, man, you have the greatest name in the world. 
that your name literally is perfect and, and you're perfect because your name's perfect. And she's just growing up in life. She's like, I have the coolest name, chrysanthemum, chrysanthemum, chrysanthemum. Uh, and then she ends up having to go to school. And then she shares her name at school. And all the girls have these short, little, easy names. And everybody laughs at her like, ha ha, your name is long. It doesn't even fit on a name tag. You know, your name's weird, chrysanthemum. What is that? You know, and it just... She goes just down. She wilted. And then, <laughs> okay. And then she, okay. It's toddler time. And then when she goes home and she's just down and her parents are like, what's wrong? She's like, my name is long and whack. And they're like, no, it's not. It's perfect. You have a perfect name. Chris Andama, it's special. Your name is special. And she's like, you know what? It is special. I don't, you know, I have, the, I have a perfect name. Next day at school, same situation. Boom, comes home. And she lives in this cycle until one of the new teachers actually has a name like a flower and it's kind of like a long name and all the girls are like, I want a new name. <laughs> but this is a perfect picture of what it looks like when we value the voices in our life. Yes. Is God telling you one thing and you're allowing so man to override what God's telling you? Oh, come on, chrysanthemum Christians. And I would say they weren't, the kids weren't wrong. Girl, your name is long. My last name, no one could spell. That's the truth. Your name is long, Chrysanthemum. It's long. But can I tell you, which voice do you value more? I'm going to take my parents' voice. I'm going to take my heavenly father's voice. Amen. And here's the reality. We submit to whomever we fear most. We submit to it. And, and this is the, the, really the, the only other options we have outside of the fear of God is, is either the fear of man or the fear of self. Fear of man looks like striving for acceptance and approval, that, that you, will, you will work the, the world system in order to be adopted into the world. But God's already given you his affirmation. God's already given you his approval. So you've literally allowed the volume of man to outweigh the volume of God. And maybe you're in a place where you need to make a decision and, and your self-talk is, is messing with your decision-making process. Can I encourage you that God is willing to speak to you in, for whatever you need from him, that he is a speaking God and he's always speaking. It's just us trying to find the tune that where he's speaking in. And sometimes noise allows us to do, not allows us to do that. And so we, we actually know more about sports statistics than we do about scripture. We, we, Sorry, that was, a little, that was a little true. We binge watch Netflix. We, we, we got this. Oh, the seasons came out. It dropped and it was done. I'm done. When's the next season coming out? We know so much more about other things. And God's just like, I just want to know you. Uh, but let me make this practical. I love like making it simplified. So how do I fear God? I want to make it as simple as this. By putting him first in everything you do. This is called divine order, divine order. It's kind of like, you don't need to like wonder if you're fearing God. It's like, no, God has the first place in every area of my life. And even if it's not a super spiritual area or, or a process you're undergoing, you can invite God to be first in it. This reminds me of when me and Amanda in 2013, we first get married and we are looking to buy our first house together, you know, and, uh, it was, 
first, it was very taxing because it's like you put in offers and you get denied. You put in offers and you get denied and you get discouraged. You're like, man, should we even buy a home? But then I, was like, I took a moment and said, no, you know what, God? This isn't gonna be our house. This is gonna be your house. So you take, you take charge of this process. So now when I got the, the offer that didn't get accepted, now I'm like, cool, God has something better for me. You know? And then we end up getting into this cute little 1,200 square foot house that I made a vow that we were gonna use this for the kingdom of God and for his glory. And over the course of five years, we'd see young adults come in our home, 30 plus people moving furniture, packing in, learning about who God is in their life. And God gets the glory for getting us that house. Amen. Divine order. Everybody say divine order. This is a kingdom principle. Pastor Chris Hodges would say it like this. Christianity isn't a belief system. Christianity is an order system. And I believe the disorder of the Christian life is that God has been just placed out of order. Matthew 6.33 says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things would be added unto you. You know, if we, if you actually, I've heard this before, if you seek things, you don't get heaven and you don't get things. But if you seek the kingdom, you get heaven and you get things. But we put God first. This is why we believe in the tithe. It's our way of trusting God with the first 10. We put God first in our family, our work, our marriage, and then we get to give him glory for it. You know what I'm actually tired of, bro? I'm tired of award shows for people accepting their, their thing. Man, I just want to thank God for this song that I wrote that had, got, had nothing to do with God in the process. No, you can't do that. Slap on God at the end of the thing that you wanted to do. No, we put God first, and that allows us to give him glory. People in the room put God first on a Sunday. Come on, give it up for you putting God first on a Sunday morning. Amen. And so we are to be known to be fearful. Amen. Number two, Lydia was known to be friendly. Known to be friendly. She invites them over to come stay at their house. And I'm sure she was balling. It was probably Spanish Hills or, you know, McDonald Ranch, Blue Heron Home and all. But I could have just imagined this scene. She's like, hey, guys, you know, she, she gets saved. She gets baptized. Her whole household gets baptized. And I'm sure when she went home to get her, like, shorts and her shirt to get baptized, she probably put something in the slow cooker, you know. And she's like, hey, Paul, why don't you come over? Why don't you guys come over? Like, it'll be a good time. No, no, we really should be on our way. It's okay. Thanks, Lydia. Appreciate it. Congrats on your baptism, though. We're super pumped for your life. I put chili in the slow cooker, and they're like, yo, we got to go. <laughs> but she was hospitable. She opened up her home. And verse 14, literally, it, it, went, it went from the Lord opening up her heart all the way to her opening up her home. And this tells me that the fruit of an open heart for God looks like an open home for people. Have you closed off your life? Uh, our faith does not lead us into isolation. You can't follow Jesus into isolation. If, you, if that is happening, you are not following the right Jesus. I'm sorry. Jesus always leads us into community. Literally, when you give your life to Christ, you get placed into the family of God. That's what happens. And so if, if you find yourself in your journey getting more isolated, I would call you back into community. I would say, come to the open house. I would say, open up your home. I would, I would say, invite people over for coffee or go get, grab some coffee, get some food with somebody in the church. It's literally, I've said this time and time again, that my favorite thing about the local church is meeting people that are outside of my seasons of life. I love meeting elderly dudes that have gone through life and have made decisions that I want to make, but mistakes I don't want to make. 
And so I get to kind of skip through those experiences because of mentorship and discipleship. On the other hand, we get guys like Austin who are younger than me and is in high school, but wants to get into media and stuff. And so I'm like, yo, grab a camera, serve the house of God. And over two years, my man's just one of the greatest servants of all. It's a beautiful thing when you really go all into community. Um, And this is just our reminder that we that we cannot live in isolation. You know, Pastor Jabin would say it like this, everything God is going to do for you is going to be through people. God will answer your prayer through a person. God will tell you no sometimes because of a person. God will tell you yes sometimes because of, but but everything God's gonna do in your life will be through people. But I wanna bring this back to reputation, right? Because we ought to be known to be friendly. John 13 Uh, 34, Jesus is saying, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so that you must love, uh, as I have loved you, so that you must love one another. 35 says this, by this, everyone will know. Everybody say reputation. Reputation. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Not if you yell out your memorized scriptures, not if you condemn people with shame. No, by loving one another. That that the reputation of our love for God is found in our love for one another. The world is hungry for community. And it's when people see the community of faith, they say, I need that in my life. I'm tired of living this separated life with people in my workplace that tell me garbage information that doesn't have to do anything with where I'm trying to go. I need that. And I think this is like something that like the business world has actually adopted. Yeah. Uh, they've adopted community. They stole it from scripture. <laughs> like literally, I was at a business conference on, on Friday. And uh, by the way, it's not called small groups. It's not called community. It's called masterminds. They're like, let's just make it sound cooler than community. <laughs> well, literally, the guy that put on the conference, he, had a, he started his own mastermind. It's a six-month mastermind. It cost $20,000. Imagine if we're like, join a group, it'll cost you $20,000. And all we ask is for the tithe, man. <laughs> no, but, but, but businessmen and women have adopted this. The, they know the power of community. They know the power of meeting somebody that's gone before them to learn something from them that even in just one idea, it would make it worth that investment. If the business world can actually you know, master this reality, we should be leading the charge when it comes to community. Come on, somebody. And, and honestly, as the church grows, more and more people outside, when I found myself outside of you know, church on a Sunday, they're like, hey, Pastor Omar. I'm like, hey, what's up, man? Like, uh, you know, I, I go to City Lights. One, it's, oh, it's just one light, friend. Just, just one light. How, how long you been coming, though? Six months, a year? Bro, I have never seen you. Bro, I'm here all day Sunday. Bro, we do small groups. We got people serving on teams. Do you just really come here and go after 55 minutes? Six months of isolation in church? You know, there's actually, there's actually studies that like just being exposed to, the, to, to, the, to God's word once is actually has a negligible effect because you, it, it just, it leaves. And now you, now you skew it throughout your, you know, world in your life as you take on Monday and throughout the week. I want to encourage you to, to, to press into the community. Let's do life together, y'all. Let's be friendly. Take next steps. Get a, and honestly, let me, 
Next Steps is, it's not about getting on a team with Next Steps, even though that would be super good for you. If you got on a team and you started serving the, the local church, I promise you that, that you, will, you, will, you will feel a fulfillment. That's why I love serving God's house. But more than that, it's more about just you getting connected in God's house. And I think Jesus is the ultimate example of this, which is uh, the reputation of Jesus. Luke 7, 34 says, the son of man came eating and drinking. And here you say, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus was a friend. God actually wants to be known as a friend. Psalm 25, 14, I love this, came later in my prep, but so the team doesn't have it. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. Everybody say amen. 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 Known to be friendly. Number three. Number three. Known to be faithful. So known to be faithful. Acts 16, 15. It says, she, this, is, uh, this is her talking to Timothy. If you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, then come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. I get a sense that Paul, that, that she actually wasn't like even though the message paraphrase says like she wouldn't take no for an answer, I actually think she just gave him like a predicament. Yo, if you think I'm faithful, come over to the house. It doesn't take much to know that when you look at, she shows up to a prayer meeting, she gives her life to Christ, she goes back home, she brings all her household to get baptized, she then opens up her own. Dude, Lydia is faithful. So I, I believe Paul was just like, I mean, you're faithful. You said, if you judge me to be faithful, all right, girl, you faithful, we coming over. And so Lydia was this example of what it means to be faithful. Faithful means trustworthy, loyal, devoted, and one literal meaning of it, and I love this literal meaning, it's to have fullness of faith, that the result in the fullness of faith that you have, it results in faithfulness. Faithfulness is not this big, audacious you know, decision that you make to get to the next level in life. Um, I also like this other definition of it. Uh, it means trustworthy for the execution of commands. Mm, that's so good. But what does it look like to be faithful? I think Eugene Peterson, author of the Message Bible, or the, uh, the paraphrase of the Message Bible, he says it like, he says this, long obedience in the same direction. That's what faithfulness looks like. She went from being saved to getting baptized to starting a small group. And when, when you think about faithfulness, it really brings me to this story. It's the story of the, the parable of the talents. Um, this is a story of uh, three people. They have this master, and the master gives them uh, three different bags of talents. And in, if you don't know, talents is like money, right? One guy gets or girl gets five bags, the other person gets two bags, and the other person gets one bag. So they all get something different. And then the people with the five and the two, they come back and they doubled it to their ability. They doubled their, their talents. And so they both get, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'm gonna put you in charge of many things. The Bible says nothing about their gift mix, the Bible says nothing about their experiences, the background, the family they came from. It says nothing about that. It says, it's all about their ability. So I think when you start to think about this word faithfulness, I want to encourage you to, to look beyond the words like trustworthy, loyal, and devoted. I want you to start thinking of faithfulness like multiplier. Good, good. 
that what God has given me, I actually bring back to him more than what he's given. Uh, or another word is just steward. Yeah, that, that you have, you're stewarding what God has given you. I want a well done, good and faithful servant, but it looks like it's not going to be my charisma or my gift mix or anything like that. That's going to get me that it's going to be my ability to bring back what God's given to me. And he's expecting more. Here's what's crazy. The person with one talent and Zach, you can come up. Uh, The person with one talent actually brings it back with just one talent. Hey, I gave back what you gave me exactly in the same way. You didn't lose it. You didn't spend it. You would think that was like, they'd, he'd actually get like maybe like a, you know, I don't know, maybe not. Uh, weird. Okay. But you know what this guy gets? You wicked and lazy servant. To bring back literally what God or the, what his master gave him. And here's what, here's what was his res- response to the reason why he didn't do anything with what he was given. He said, because I was afraid And so I dug it into the ground. So here's what belongs to you. He was motivated by by, by being afraid. He didn't have a reverence, a respect, or an awe. And so he gets wicked and lazy servant. I want you to think about it differently. And I believe the, the remedy to a reputation of faithfulness is living like this. God, everything I have is yours. Everything. Just let's take an inhale. Inhale, exhale. You're not the owners. God's given it to you. Parents, it's not your child. It's God's. Trust God with your child. Married, married couples, trust God with your marriage. Trust God with your, with your spouse, in your, fam, in your careers, with your finances. It's all been given to you. So I'm just, I'm, I'm just a manager. I'm just managing what God's already given me. I'm not an owner. This, I can walk higher now. The pressure's off. Are you grateful for the gift of life that God gives that's not ours, but we can give it back bigger and better than how we were given it? Amen. But as we wrap this up, I love this. This is why I love Lydia. Lydia went from receiving the word to, to her whole household getting saved. So she was a multiplier. That her salvation didn't just end with her. It grew into her household. But even beyond that day, we see Lydia's name come up again later in Acts 16. You know, we, we overlooked the first part, but now, we, now you'll, I, ho- I hope you read Acts 16 and you, you'll always see Lydia and smile. And like, I want to be like, I want to live like Lydia. But Acts 1640, Paul and Silas, the prison... J- j- the prison uh, broke open. The, the, everyone was freed. The jailer gets saved, him and all his household. And then we find ourselves in Acts 16, 40, where we see Lydia's name again. Walking out of the jail, Paul and Silas went straight to Lydia's house, saw their friends again, encouraged them in their faith, and then went on their way. Lydia would be one of the first Christians in Europe, literally probably first, recorded in scripture at least. So scholars tell us this, that Lydia was instrumental in the church in Europe, the church in Philippi, that Paul actually trusted Lydia with the church. Don't tell me women can't be in ministry. 
He trusted Lydia with the church. And then he comes back from prison and, and there's Lydia, faithful, still there, building, serving, loving. Come on, she's faithful. And so she was foundational to the church in Philippi. Anybody love the book of Philippians? Without Lydia's faithfulness, we don't have the book of Philippians. Without Lydia's faithfulness, we don't have, Paul has nobody to write to in prison. Without Lydia, without her faithfulness, we don't have this letter. And I don't know if you've ever stood on scriptures like, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Steph Curry wouldn't have anything to stand on. (laughs) Don't be anxious for anything, but pray about it. Be confident in this, that he who began a good work in you is faithful to carry out into completion. God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. These are scriptures we stand on today. I was in tears because there were seasons in my life that I needed these scriptures to stand on. And it was Lydia's faithfulness. What will the body of Christ benefit from with your faithfulness? Maybe you don't even know those scriptures because you're new, but if you like the song Gyra, we wouldn't have the song Gyra. I will be content in every circumstance. Paul would pen those words in prison to the Philippian church. What would your life look like? Or what would somebody else's life look like if we were faithful? Amen. Amen. Did you get a word from God today? Oh, come on. Give God some praise.